the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. We're continuing this series I've called, Oh, That Verse Means That? taking a closer look at some popular or well-known Bible passages that we've understood a certain way, or that we've been taught mean one thing, when in reality they mean something very different. Friends, the Bible has a story to tell us, doesn't it? In fact, it's crying out, I dare say screaming out, to tell us its story. But unfortunately, many times we preachers, teachers, and pastors, as well as every average Christian, all have the tendency to make, I'll even say force, the Bible to tell our story. And to this I say, shame on us. Friends, I'm going to confess to you that I did that for a while myself. During the height of the Jesus movement in the 70s, the 1970s that is, I was in a Christian rock band that evangelized and discipled hundreds of people in the New Jersey tri-state area. Our band did the usual coffeehouse circuit, church conferences, and Christian club-driven college venues, the works. Later on, with some different band members, we formed a prison ministry band and went into the tri-state area prisons and inner cities to preach the gospel for about six years. By any chance, are you familiar with a TV series that aired many moons ago called Scared Straight? That was filmed in Rahway State Prison in Rahway, New Jersey. We were there. It's a scary place. Well, friends, I was raised in a mainstream evangelical church, and it wasn't until I was in my 20s that I began taking the Bible seriously and began reading it regularly. I was aware that the Bible was not written in English, but I pretty much took the word in English at face value. If it said it, I believed it. It seemed clear enough to me. 
Thankfully, I became part of a vibrant church and sat under good preaching and teaching where I learned the value of studying the scriptures and taking pains to understand the meanings behind many terms and concepts. Terms and concepts that I had to make a commitment to at least a basic working knowledge of the Bible's original languages and original cultural and literary settings in order to understand the Bible better. So, friends, I'm calling today's session two, Unmasking the Thief. This brings us to the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 10. You know this verse, don't you? And I'll bet you've heard a pastor or teacher preach or teach on this verse. Well, let's get right to quoting it, okay? The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they would have life and have it abundantly, or to the full. But before we unpack this statement, I want to remind us of something I said last time. Being or becoming a Berean, according to Acts chapter 17, verse 11, is and should be an enjoyable pursuit. It's not sterile or boring. The scriptures encourage us to search the scriptures to see if things are really so, or if the way something is preached or taught about is really that way. Friends, I also said last time that I absolutely affirm that the Holy Spirit is the author of our Judeo-Christian scriptures, per 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. So when we cavalierly interpret a passage or allow our own biases to dictate how we preach or teach it, are we not disrespecting the Holy Spirit? I think we are. So let me introduce you to three very dear friends of mine. They're from another country, so their names may appear a little unusual. Exa, Isa, and Herman. But Herman ends in M-E-N. Exa and Isa are brother and sister, but with opposite personalities. And Herman is a close friend of theirs. Exa is the sister's nickname. Her full name is Exegesis. Isa is also the brother's nickname. His full name is Isagesis. I love it when we investigate the meaning behind people's names, don't you? Exegesis means to extract the meaning of the text. In other words, what the text wants to tell us. Because the Bible has a story to tell, doesn't it? Think of the EX in extract to help you remember the meaning of exegesis. Eisegesis, on the other hand, means to isolate a text and impose on that text what we want the text to mean. Because, friends, our tendency is to take the path of least resistance and make the Bible tell our story. Think of the word isolate and let the first syllable, isa, help you remember the meaning of eisegesis. So, friends, exegesis helps us discover the then and there meaning. In other words, what the text meant to the original hearers. Exegesis demands that we make careful observations of the text under discussion before making or drawing any conclusions. Then we have Herman standing by. Herman, the best friend of Exa and Isa, is also a nickname for hermeneutics. Wow, that's a $64 word, isn't it? Hermeneutics is the sometimes daunting exercise of finding the here and now meaning directly or indirectly implied in the text. In other words, what it can mean to us in the here and now. Some Bible students and scholars refer to this aspect as the application of the text. 
Friends, I'll say flat out here that the biggest mistake we make when reading a portion of scripture, or even just one verse, is to immediately ask, what does this verse mean to me? I suspect that it's because we want a quick fix, a crumb of bread to satisfy the immediate moment of feeling like we read a verse today. This is a dangerous diet, friends. We must commit ourselves to eating slices of bread, sometimes even an entire loaf, to spiritually nourish our soul and spirit properly. If we think that a crumb of bread each day will satisfy our soul, we'll soon discover that our soul is crumbling, pun intended. Remember now, the original Bible manuscripts didn't have chapter and verse divisions, so it's important we read around a verse, usually a little before and a little after, depending on where the thought or topic at hand begins and ends. Our goal being, as we read and study the verse or portion, we want to latch on to as many pieces of the puzzle of that verse or portion that we can before we draw any conclusions. Friends, doesn't the Word of God deserve this kind of attention? Friends, doesn't the Holy Spirit deserve this kind of respect? I think they both do. The beauty of all this, friends, is that we can now take what we've learned and apply it to John chapter 10, verse 10. I bet you thought I forgot the verse, didn't you? Well, I didn't. If we read chapter 10 only from verse 1, we'll immediately lose out on knowing who the you is. In other words, with whom Jesus is talking. But if we back up to the last two verses of chapter 9, verses 40 and 41, we read, Those who were with him from the Pharisees heard these things and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now that you maintain, we see, your sin remains. So then, chapter 10, verse 1 begins, Truly I say to you, the Pharisees, the one who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But the one who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. Friends, we must observe here that the Pharisees have once again entered into an adversarial relationship with Jesus. Where did this begin? Well, it actually begins back in chapter 9, verse 1, with the Jesus healing the man born blind. But even this contest has an earlier beginning. As I said previously, we can go back to chapter 8, verse 12, where Jesus proclaims himself the light of the world. And in verse 13, the Pharisees jump right in and challenge him. So, friends, this backstory is incredibly important as we move into chapter 10, because we must observe that the Pharisees continue their debate with Jesus from chapter 8 through the end of chapter 9. 9.13 is where the controversy over Jesus' healing, the man born blind, erupts. As chapter 10 unfolds, the religious duel between Jesus and the Pharisees is continuing and escalating. But chapter 10 introduces us to the real conflict, the conflict between establishing just who's the good shepherd and who are the bad shepherds, and who ultimately is the shepherd ruler over the Jewish people. Now, Chapter 10, verse 2 alerts us to this fact when Jesus says, and let's review, but the one who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. 
Now, let's follow Jesus' line of reasoning here. Verse 5 then says, However, another but here, a stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him, because they do not know the voice of strangers. Then in verse 7, Jesus declares that he is the door of the sheep. And in verse 8, he adds, All those who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Notice now, friends, this is the second mention of thief and robber, but this time it's plural, thieves and robbers. This entire conversation is about human thieves and robbers. Jesus is contrasting bad shepherds with himself as the good shepherd. In verse 1, the bad shepherd doesn't enter by the right door. In verse 2, the good shepherd enters by the right door. In verse 5, the bad shepherd is called a stranger because the sheep do not know the voice of a strange shepherd, so they don't follow him. Okay, so now listen to verse 9, the prelude to verse 10, our verse under investigation. I, Jesus, am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. (laughs) This is the first mention of salvation being the issue. Now, here's verse 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came so that they the sheep, in other words, the Jewish people, would have life, eternal life, salvation, and have it abundantly. Now, friends, the word it is assumed here. It's not in the original. In fact, the original Greek reads, I came that life they may have, and abundantly may have, or possess. This is not earthly abundance at all, as some make it out to be. And Jesus maintains his contrast here between the shepherd who is a thief and a robber and the shepherd who gives true life. His contrast continues in verses 11 and 12. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, seek the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees because he is a hired hand and does not care about the sheep. So, friends, let's review the terms used to describe the bad shepherds. In verses 1 and 8, a thief and a robber. In verse 5, a stranger. In verses 12 and 13, a hired hand who does not care about the sheep. Now, friends, I'm going to pause here for a moment because there's another vital backstory that we must take into consideration, this being the Old Testament picture of what a true shepherd is. Without this Old Testament backstory, John chapter 10 will lose its relevance and power. Jesus' accusations against the Jewish religious leaders are leveled at them because they are not fulfilling the picture God painted in Ezekiel 34, Jeremiah 23, and Psalm 23, portions with which we do well to familiarize ourselves. Friends, Ezekiel 34's entire chapter, all 31 verses, is devoted to Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, prophesying against the so-called shepherds over Israel. Please read this full chapter. I'll just highlight some key portions so we see just how God feels about what's going on. And as I read these verses, think about your pastor, or any pastor in general. Are they doing these things that God cares about? 
And by the way, our English term pastor is rooted in the word pasture, obviously connecting to the realm of shepherding sheep and taking them out to pasture to feed and nourish them. This term carries over equally into our New Testament and means the same thing, spiritually shepherding the sheep. The words pastor and shepherd are used interchangeably. Okay, friends, first up, Ezekiel 34, verse 1. Then the word of Yahweh came to me, the prophet Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, This is what Yahweh God says. Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding, or pasturing, themselves. Should the shepherds not feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding or pasturing the flock. Here it comes, friends. Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The diseased, you have not healed. The broken, you have not bound up. The scattered, you have not brought back. Nor have you searched for the lost. But with force and violence, you have dominated or ruled them." They scattered for lack of a shepherd, and they became food for every animal of the field and scattered. My flock strayed, my flock scattered, and there was no one to search or seek for them. My flock has become plunder, my flock has become food for all the animals of the field, for lack of a shepherd. My shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves. Therefore I am against the shepherds, and will make them stop tending sheep." Now, friends, starting in verse 11, listen to how God describes himself. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd cares for his flock, so I will care for my sheep and will rescue them from the places they were scattered. I will feed them in a good pasture." There they will lie down in a good grazing place. I myself will lead them to rest. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, and strengthen the sick. But the fat and the strong I will eliminate. I will feed them with judgment. Friends, doesn't the difference between God and the shepherds of Israel in Ezekiel's time sound just like the comparison between Jesus and the Pharisees, the shepherds of first century Israel? Okay, friends, next up, Jeremiah 23, 1 through 4. This is a shorter portion, but reinforces the point. Woe to the shepherds who are causing the sheep of my pasture to perish and are scattering them, declares the Lord, Yahweh. Therefore, this is what Yahweh, the God of Israel, says concerning the shepherds who are tending or shepherding my people. You have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not been concerned about them. Behold, I am going to call you to account for the evil of your deeds, declares Yahweh. Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and bring them back to their pasture, and they will be fruitful and multiply. I will also raise up shepherds over them, and they will tend or shepherd them." And they will not be afraid any longer, nor be terrified, nor will any be missing, declares Yahweh. 
Friends, not sure if you caught this, but the language of Jeremiah 23 reminds me of John chapter 21, where Jesus restores Peter to his apostolic mission and pastoral oversight. Since the last time we heard of Peter, he denied Jesus three times. Now Jesus asks Peter around a campfire, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know I love you. To which Jesus replied, tend my lambs. Well, this conversation goes on two more times. The second time Jesus says, shepherd my sheep. And the third time Jesus says, tend my sheep. Through these directives to Peter, Jesus is reestablishing and recommissioning Peter to his apostolic, missionary, and pastoral position in his body. And it's quite interesting, friends, that two distinct words are used during Jesus' directives. The first is tend, the Greek word being bosco, which means to feed. And the second word, shepherd, the Greek word being poimen, where we get our English word pastor, is, is this word means to shepherd. And finally, Psalm 23. What I especially love about Psalm 23 is that it's written by a shepherd, acknowledging a higher shepherd above himself. In verse 1, David says, Yahweh is my shepherd. So just listen to what Yahweh does for David. He lets him lie down in green pastures. The Hebrew word for lets includes causing to or making. In other words, it's an intentional action. He leads him to quiet waters. He revives his soul or his life in general. He guides him to paths of righteousness. He's with him. He comforts him. He dines with him amidst his enemies. He anoints his head with oil, symbolic of reinvigorating his body. It's as if David was musing on the fact that whatever he does for his sheep, God does for him. So here David acknowledges that Yahweh is his chief shepherd. This reminded me of what Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 2-4, when he urges his fellow elders and instructed them how to oversee the flock. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not with greed or dishonest gain, but with eagerness, not yet domineering over those assigned to your care, but by proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, Jesus, you will receive the unfading crown of glory." So, friends, let's now take these scriptural overviews and infuse them into John chapter 10. Jesus, knowing his father's portrait of good shepherds, now reprimands the Pharisees, Israel's religious leaders and spiritual caretakers of God's flock, admonishing them as bad shepherds. So bad, in fact, that they've shown themselves to be nothing but spiritual hired hands and not shepherds, hired hands that do not care about the sheep, as verses 12 and 13 show. In other words, they're merely performers and not pastors. And let me just point out here, friends, that in verse 8, Jesus also contrasts himself as a true shepherd with the past false shepherds or messiahs that came before him. Let me just refresh our memories here. Jesus said in verse 8, All those who came before me are thieves and robbers. In other words, all those false shepherds in power before Jesus arrived, he summarily lopped them all together and calls them thieves and robbers. 
You see, friends, the Pharisees and Sadducees who rose to power during the time between the Old and New Testaments were stealing the religion of Judaism, co-opting it and converting it from a religion of faith to a religion of rules, regulations, and deeds done merely as a duty. They came to epitomize legalism in the first century. In this way, they were able to perpetuate their power base and their spiritual authority over people. In this sense, we could rightly say that they killed and destroyed any relational connection between the people and God and used it to their own benefit and greed. So, friends, I sure hope that we're all connecting the dots here, and I sure hope that we're able to see just what happens when we cavalierly lift a verse out of its natural context and setting and make it say what we think it should say. We end up stealing, killing, and destroying the message and then deny the benefit of the original teaching to the audience it was intended for, whether the then and there audience, the first century audience, or the here and now audience, our 21st century audience. Do you really want to end up being guilty of doing that, friends? I sure hope not. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're nearing the end of today's program. Our broadcast will close with an email where you may contact me. I appreciate those of you who write in and share your feedback on these programs that have impacted you in some way. It's a blessing. And remember, friends, the podcasts are posted at faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu for local program podcasts. And please feel free to share these with family, friends, or others in your spheres of influence to reach out, teach, bless, or challenge them. And keep in mind, friends, A Word from the Word is a listener-supported program. Christian radio in general, and A Word from the Word in particular, have not been immune from the challenging financial times and economic times we've been facing. So, as 2022 is now underway... Please consider and pray about financially helping to keep a word from the word on the air with your kind support. Just email me for the details. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a word from the word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.